W233AH Monticello. From the WJFF studios in Liberty, New York, this is Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. On today's show, Governor Kathy Hochul wants to reduce the state's ballooning Medicaid spending, but she faces pushback from a coalition of state legislative leaders, hospital and nursing home administrators, and healthcare union leaders. Even the state's Assembly Health Committee's chair, Amy Paulin, says she doesn't understand some of the Medicaid changes proposed in the governor's budget. We'll hear from her, Health Committee Chair Amy Paulin, this morning. The Black Library is a creative space in Monticello dedicated to honoring and celebrating black history and culture. Saturday, they're hosting a special fashion show celebrating the creations of local designers and brought to life on the runway by local models. We'll get a preview. Plus, a call for artist submissions for a pretty big canvas, The Great Wall of Honesdale, and a new music show debuting this weekend on Radio Catskill, Ambient Barn. We'll talk to local creator Mark Partridge. First, the news. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Korva Coleman. One Israeli is dead and several injured in a Hezbollah rocket attack from Lebanon. This went deeper than is typical into Israeli territory. NPR's Eleanor Beardsley reports the Israeli Air Force says it has begun extensive strikes in Lebanon following the barrage. France is pushing a plan to help end hostilities between Israel and Hezbollah as fears rise that the Israel-Hamas war could spread. But the head of the Iran-backed proxy said this week his armed group's cross-border shelling into Israel would end only when Israel's, quote, aggression on the Gaza Strip stops. The latest rocket barrage from Lebanon into northern Israel comes as Israeli forces prepare to enter Rafah in southern Gaza and while negotiators continue to work for a ceasefire in Cairo. Analysts say now more than at any time the conflict teeters between two extremes, ceasefire or an escalation that risks engulfing the region. Eleanor Beardsley, NPR News, Tel Aviv. The House of Representatives voted mostly on party lines to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. The majority Republicans claim he has broken federal law and allowed migrants to illegally cross the border. Democrats say this was a political stunt, but three Republicans voted with Democrats against this. That included Colorado Republican Ken Buck. He says he voted no just as he voted no on Donald Trump's impeachment, and that Republicans could be creating a future problem for themselves. If there's a Republican president in the next Congress, you better expect an impeachment of a cabinet official, and and they're going to be very hard-pressed to try to distinguish how they voted against the Trump impeachment for the Mayorkas impeachment and then uh, voted against another Republican impeachment. That's that's a bad situation to be in. He spoke to CNN. New York Democrat Tom Suozzi has won yesterday's special election to fill the seat of ousted Congressman George Santos. The win carves the Republicans' majority in the House to just a handful of lawmakers. Suozzi's victory could be a factor in very close House votes. Stocks opened higher this morning after Tuesday's big sell-off. NPR's Scott Horsley reports the Dow Jones Industrial Average rose about 60 points in early trading. Stocks regained some of the ground they lost on Tuesday when a report showing higher-than-expected inflation last month raised concern the Federal Reserve will take longer to start lowering interest rates. A typo on its quarterly earnings report triggered a flurry of buying in Lyft shares. The ride-hailing service actually expects a key profit measure to rise by half a percent this year, not ten times that amount. An extra zero was added by mistake. And if you waited till the last minute to do your Valentine's Day shopping, you're not alone. Walmart says about three-quarters of its Valentine's sales happen on February 14th or just one day before. Scott Horslate, NPR News, Washington. You're listening to NPR. The private company SpaceX scrubbed today's early morning launch of a probe to the moon. The company cited problems with fueling the rocket. SpaceX says it will try again to launch from Florida just after midnight tomorrow. If the probe is successful, it would be the first American spacecraft to land on the moon in 50 years. Democrats have cemented their narrow command over the Pennsylvania House of Representatives, Remember station WHYY, Kenny Cooper reports on the aftermath of yesterday's special election in suburban Philadelphia. Pennsylvania Democrats entered yesterday's race with the one-seat lead in the state house. By the end of the night, they left with two. Democrat Jim Prokopiak defeated Republican Candace Cabanis in a local race that garnered national headlines. Prokopiak told a crowded bar of supporters that issues like protecting abortion rights 
or it's high priority. That fight continues on in every district in the state. It continues on in our congressional races, continues in the state Senate races and the Senate race, and it continues it for the presidency. Prokopiak's victory guarantees Pennsylvania House Democrats a majority, heading into another special election in April. For NPR News, I'm Kenny Cooper in Philadelphia. NBC Sports California has named Jenny Kavnar as its new play-by-play announcer for the Oakland Athletics. She will become the first woman to be the primary play-by-play announcer for a major league baseball team. Kavnar has covered baseball for 17 years, and she has been a backup play-by-play announcer for regional TV coverage for baseball's Colorado Rockies. I'm Corva Coleman, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Jarl and Pamela Mohn, focusing on civil liberties, foster youth, public radio, and the arts. And the Public Welfare Foundation, committed to advancing transformative youth and criminal justice reforms. Welcome back to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. Governor Kathy Hochul is trying to rein in the state's ballooning Medicaid spending, but she faces pushback from a coalition of state legislative leaders, hospital and nursing home administrators, and health care union leaders. Last Friday, this coalition issued an urgent plea to Governor Hochul to address what they called, quote, New York's dire health care funding crisis. New York's Medicaid has grown 11% over the last year alone to total $35 billion within the state's overall spending plan. And health care is the largest section of the state's proposed $233 billion budget. Governor Hochul is proposing Medicaid revisions, which include a $1.2 billion reduction in support for long-term care, home care, and staff wages. Assembly Health Committee Chair Amy Paulin says she does not understand some of the Medicaid changes proposed in the governor's budget. From the New York Public News Network, Chantal Destra spoke to Assembly Health Committee Chair Amy Paulin about Medicaid spending in the state budget and health priorities this year. Thank you so much for being here, Assembly Member. Thank you for having me. Now, health care takes up a large portion of the state's budget year after year. A lot of that has to do with Medicaid. We know that Medicaid spending has ballooned over the last couple of years, largely in part due to the COVID-19 pandemic. This year in the executive budget, Governor Kathy Hochul has stated that she wants to scale back on Medicaid spending um, and find ways to save. What is your perspective on the governor's proposal? Right now, uh, the governor's proposal isn't fully formed. Uh, There were uh, anticipated uh, unallocated cuts, something we've never seen before, uh, of close to $400 million in Medicaid, which translates into an $800 million cut because of the federal match. So those are not flushed out. We don't know what they are. Um, $200 million in long-term care and $200 million in managed care, and we, do, we just don't know what they are. So we don't even um, understand what's going to happen in the budget, uh, you know, until some of that's laid out, perhaps in the 30-day amendments. Mm-hmm. So you don't understand the governor's proposal as it is, as it stands. So in what ways are you hoping that the governor and legislative leaders tackle Medicaid spending in the final state budget? Well, it's a little scary um, because uh, we uh, know that our entire health care system is suffering from a workforce shortage. They're suffering, as you said, um, post-COVID from uh, a depletion of funds from the federal government. And so we, um, uh, we're overloaded and yet we're deficient in how we're serving people. And we need to rethink a lot of that. We need to uh, shore up our hospitals. We have uh, 75 hospitals in distress. That's 29% of our hospitals in financial distress. That's an enormous number. We have so many on the brink of distress Mm -hmm. uh, that are pleading with us for more resources. Uh, Our hospitals are where we go uh, if we need uh, tertiary care, if we need ambulatory care, we have uh, to shore them up. So that's a big problem. Nursing homes, another tremendous area that we have problems uh, financially with. They're going under. 
Uh, not-for-profit uh, nursing homes are selling to for-profit nursing homes. We aren't seeing the capital investments being made that are needed. Uh, again, a workforce shortage and not enough resources for these facilities. So it's across the board, and uh, you know, and then we have a tight budget. It's a problem. Mm -hmm. And were there any measures that were put in place during the COVID-19 pandemic, emergency measures that you're hoping will be expanded to become permanent measures that the state will implement? Yes. Um, uh, short answer. The um, uh, Some of the uh, measures that were put in place, you know, allowing some practitioners to have a small expanded scope, uh, allowing nurses to do more than they to, to work at the top of their license, EMS workers to work at their top of their license, uh, and so forth down the line. Uh, physician assistants at the top of their license. Those are things that I think that we have to continue to do. They were uh, by executive order, as you point out, uh, for three years. They worked. Uh, and the hospitals are relying on them. Nursing homes are relying on them for us to go forward uh, and to maintain them. Mm -hmm. And your predecessor, um, form, former Assemblymember Richard Godfrey, he was, of course, a, you know, the lead sponsor and longtime champion of the New York Health Act. I know last year you um, took over as assembly sponsor for the bill. And this is a bill that has been, you know, in the legislature, but hasn't moved forward for several, several years. So what is the path forward for this bill? So first, for um, for who's, you know, our viewers, right, your viewers, um, uh, to understand what it is. You know, it, it basically um, simulates a model. There's lots of models out there in lots of countries uh, that really make healthcare a right. This bill makes healthcare a right. And it makes it a right in so that if someone presents themselves at a hospital, they present themselves at a doctor's office, uh, that they know that they're going to be able to um, to get the health care that they want and deserve. It doesn't rely on uh, high premium payments. Uh, and we hope that this bill will be able to become law at some point. We're still working through a lot of the bugs, you know, um, and we still have to win over some of the unions. Uh, but long term, uh, it's something that we should do. Mm -hmm. And another bill that you've been championing for is um, the Medicaid and dying bill, which would allow for patients who are terminally ill to be able to request medication to self-administer to end their own life. Um, and that bill has been, I've been watching it closely, you've been garnering a lot of support um, for the bill. A lot of people who were completely against it for religious reasons have actually, you know, changed their mind and shown their support. So how will you continue to garner support for the bill, for the bill this um, year? I think we have the support we need. Um, I do think that this might be our year. Um, I'm very hopeful that uh, we have won over so many of my colleagues. Certainly, we've won over the citizens of New York State, you know, the residents of New York State. Um, the polls show overwhelmingly people support bringing uh, death with dignity to mm -hmm. New York, uh, like we did in New Jersey, like they did in California, like they did in Oregon, and in 10 other states. So its time has come. Uh, as you said, a lot of my colleagues who were once against it are now recognizing, either through their own personal unfortunate experience with family members or through constituents who have come to them, that it's the right thing to do for New Yorkers. So I have a very high expectation that we're going to see this bill move forward. Mm -hmm. And turning to reproductive rights and abortion access, um, New York has codified um, abortion access um, in the days after the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And Democrats have made this a top priority um, year after year since 2022. Um, so how will the Assembly continue to expand on abortion access? I know in the Senate, um, earlier this month, they passed a slew of bills aimed at doula care, providing support for new mothers and, you know, continuing to expand access to um, abortion care. So where do those particular bills stand in the assembly? Um, I think that we're going to see a lot of um, laws made, you know, in this area. You know, the governor made her um, uh, in her executive budget or well, in her in her state of the state. She indicated that she was going to make um, maternal 
care, maternal mortality, um, uh, infant mortality, uh, top issues, you know, as well as she's always shown leadership on reproductive rights. And we together, uh, we, the legislature and the governor together, I think, uh, will be looking at a lot of um, a lot of initiatives, a couple of my personal initiatives I'll mention, and that um, one that passed and became law just recently uh, was to allow birth control pills to to uh, be sold over the counter uh, uh, in a way uh, that they've never been sold before uh, at pharmacies, and we're we're going to see we're going to see that uh, making making that much more accessible for people. Mm -hmm. uh, I also have a bill for um, uh, to make medication abortion over-the-counter, uh, to simulate over-the-counter uh, with a non-patient-specific script. So that bill I'm pushing very hard. Um, there are countries like India which do it uh, with, with no adverse impact on women, just making it more accessible. So we have emergency contraception accessible. We have birth control pills accessible. Hopefully soon we'll have medication abortion accessible mm -hmm. uh, and make it so much easier for women to get the health care they need at a time that they need it. Mm -hmm. And year after year, you do um, top the list of lawmakers who have been sponsoring bills that um, pass and a lot of them were signed into law, a lot of your bills. So what is your secret to being a lawmaker that continuously is the sponsor of bills that makes it over the finish line? What every, is the secret sauce? <laughs> every, every bill uh, is, uh, has its individual path. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, he, um, uh, um, I mean, there's a lot of uh, organizational skills, I think, more than anything else. I come back to that. Uh, but it's it's... Uh, it's really following each bill's path, and uh, and I have a very terrific staff that also um, works closely on all of the bills. But I, you know, no bill, every bill is a, has a secret sauce, and that's really what you have to think about, you know. And it's relationship building. Um, it's being nice to people in the legislature, right. you know, and hoping that you know, you can, uh, you know, convince them uh, of your of your bill, you know, so if you are nice and kind and you uh, look at each bill's secret sauce, right. you know, you can have a, a great deal of success. Mm -hmm. And your predecessor, we know, was health committee chair for a very long time. Um, and you came on to be the chair of the health committee last year. So what was that transition like? It's still tough. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I will never be Dick Godfrey. Mm -hmm. He was, um, uh, he was something very special and knew this area so much better than I'm ever going to know it. But I'm doing the best I can, and I, I have the great fortune of being able to rely on him uh, because he's still there. He's still in my life. He's still uh, a phone call away for any time I have a question. So we're, we're working hard um, to, to be half of what Dick was, and I'll take that. Mm -hmm. And what kind of legacy are you hoping to have as health committee chair? So I, I think if I pass Aiden dying this year, I will be very, um, uh, very content to have that as a legacy element. And, uh, you know, there's some things that need to happen. Uh, we need to deal with the workforce shortage. We need to reform our, our EMS system. Those are some of the things that I'm hoping to tackle. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot to look forward to, um, but we'll leave it here for now. Thank you so much for joining us And today. thank you for having me. And we were speaking with... Assembly Health Committee Chair Amy Pollan. And thanks to the New York Public News Network and Chantel Destra for that report. The finalized state budget is due on April 1st. We'll take a break, and when we come back, today is the last day of New York Fashion Week, but fear not, Fashionistas, a local fashion show is coming to the Black Library this weekend in Monticello. We'll learn more next. This is Radio Chatskill. Last year, over 100,000 people died from drug overdoses driven by fentanyl. And the fastest growing group is under 19. Fentanyl is the number one cause of overdose in Sullivan County. Whether you're a parent or an educator, you can have the right conversation now to potentially save a kid's life. Protect kids from the dangers of fentanyl. More information and resources at naturalhigh.org. Paid for by Catholic Charities of Orange, Sullivan, and Ulster.
news, everyone. Three late-night music shows debut on Radio Catskill this week. Virtual Soundscapes, Thursday night at 10. Electric Mountain, Saturday at midnight. And Ambient Barn, Sunday at 11. Plus, old-school sessions will be on earlier, right after Liberation Station. Four hours of club classics, funk, reggae, rap, and more with DJ Chunks and Selector Starkey. Now, 8 to midnight, Saturday night. Great local DJ shows here on Radio Catskill. Yes, the real good news. This is Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. The Black Library is a library and community art space focused on celebrating Black history and culture based in the village of Monticello in Sullivan County. Saturday at 6, they're hosting a special fashion show, which is spotlighting the unique creations of local designers and brought to life on the runway by local models. Joining us now is Douglas Sindler, one of the co-founders of the Black Library, with more. Douglas, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You know, I, I briefly mentioned in the introduction about the, the Black Library. Can you remind folks about your mission and what you're you're doing there to celebrate Black history and culture? Yeah. Um, so the Black Library is a library and community art space uh, in Monticello, New York. Um, we're focused on celebrating and educating on Black history and culture. Um, and we just we do so by providing the community with a ton of different workshops from educational workshops. Uh, we did an agriculture weekend teaching people about sustainability and how to start their own garden. Um, both myself and my other co-founder, we're both artists, so we do a lot of art-focused programming. Um, we have an artist residency program right now. We just moved in uh, five students from Monticello High School to be uh, residents. It's their, their first time having their own independent studio space. Um, and, yeah, we have about 900 books in our collection. Um I mean, we, we, we try and do as much as possible for the community. So known for, you know, having a, a lot of books, uh, a library, an art space. How did you land on uh, deciding to have a fashion show? Well, um, really, since we opened in August, um, we've had a couple designers who, who have been in the space virtually every single day designing clothes. Um we had our first um, first art exhibit, our first group show for the first set of set of residents that we had, and um, around when we were doing that, the idea came up that uh, we should have something for the the non-resident artists who were all working on clothes and uh, you know show off the designs that they were making in a fashion show. Um, so it's kind of what birthed the idea was was the artists talking um, talking amongst amongst themselves about having a fashion show and and kind of bringing the idea to to Michael and I. And and how did you decide uh, which designers to work with? Were they just did it happen organically? They were the folks that were there already working. Yeah, so we we have a couple of artists: um, Darius Rogers, um, Eli Rivera, and uh, uh, Malik Bridges. Um, they've been in the space every day working on clothes, especially uh, uh, Darius and, and Eli. Are both they both have their own clothing uh, brand, and they they've been working on clothes specifically for um, basically since we opened. And, and Malik kind of got inspired by um, all the things happening in the space, and then he started working on clothes as well. Um, so those three were in the space the whole time working on clothes, and then we have um, three other local designers um, that you know we just uh, we personally know or. Like heard about the show and wanted to participate, um, and they're all from Sullivan County. Um, so it's Samantha Monroy, uh, uh, Tyron Walker, and, and Dara Perlman. Um, and then I myself, I customize shoes, so I'm going to be showing a couple, a couple of my customized sneakers in there too. Um, but yeah, we try and you know uplift the local community as much as possible. Um, we might also have another designer who's from New Pulse, which is you know semi-local, but he's always in the space uh, supporting us. He, he comes as much as he can. Um, so he might also be displaying stuff. And then we kind of just put out a call out for models and, um, pretty much all of them are local. I think some are from Middletown as well, but I kind of still consider that local, but, um, yeah, we try and keep things as local as possible, really show off what, what our community can do. And, and, um, you know, it kind of, it feels like over the last, well, ever since I was born that, um, we don't really have things like this and maybe people don't believe that we can do things like this. So we're just trying to show people all of the local talent that we have 
in Monticello, in Sullivan County, a little bit outside of Sullivan County, and, and really just show everybody, like, hey, we do these things, we're good at these things, and, and give people the platform to do it, you know? Yeah. I we're, I think some folks might be surprised to learn that there are so many designers in Sullivan County. Were you surprised? I mean, I know there are a few folks that were there working with you, but when you put the call out, this is like a, a, a large group of folks. Yeah, honestly, I mean, we we kind of knew about all all of the, um, all the designers that we have here. Um, I don't know; it doesn't really come as too much of a surprise. I feel like you know, Sullivan County really is like a like an art haven. It's just kind of a little bit under wraps, you know. Yeah. I feel like uh, it, it. I feel like there's a lot of artists, a lot of people doing cool stuff. Maybe like fiber works or painters, or you know, at, the list goes on. Sculptors. Um, I feel like it's just like a little bit low key and we just need like a platform to get these people to jump off of and, and really, you know, um, really find a little bit more success, get highlighted a little bit more so that people can know what's going on here. Yeah. Promote them more and let folks know you guys are doing a great job of yeah. promoting the, not only the fashion show, but the designers in the fashion show on your Instagram, the black library NY. I'm looking at uh, the post that is about Darius. Darius is a 24 year old upstate native, 24, uh, and already yeah. has started his own clothing company. Can you talk a little bit about Darius and his work? Yeah. So he does, um, he does some streetwear, but he also, learned how to um how to crochet from his grandmother so he makes like the um if you look on the instagram post he's wearing a crocheted like ski mask yeah um, by the papa. um so he does all of those by hand um makes the mask by hand and makes other garments by hand um crocheting um and then he does a lot of uh like dtf printing on like sweaters um sweatpants uh t-shirts hoodies things like that yeah, I'm looking at the the crochet work. Uh, it's great to know that he learned that from his grandmother. He says that uh, yeah. his creation journey was inspired by hip hop influencers, fashion designers, and growing up around fashionable people. So I imagine that might be grandma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then also, uh, just uh, some other folks on the the page. Uh, Dara Perlman. Uh, she is the uh, creator of Sustainably Slaying. Uh, also mm-hmm. based in Sullivan County. Can you talk a little bit about Dara's work? Yeah, um, so a lot of what she does, she'll, like, go thrift or, like, find stuff on Depop, and she will, she'll, like, take two different shirts. Um, like, there's this one really incredible piece uh, when we did um, we did our, our practice run on Saturday that is, like, a corduroy jacket, and then there's, like, a, a regular, um, I don't want to call it a denim jacket, but we'll just say, like, a regular jacket that's like a denim jacket, like that style. Um, but she'll take like the sleeves off of one and then put them on the other one and kind of mix match in that way. Um, so this jacket, it was like a regular, like green jacket. And then the one sleeve was off of the corduroy jacket. So it was like this really cool combination of, um, like texture and color. Um, and she does like a lot of things like that, um, where she'll like take thrifted items and, and take old items and then make them in a, into new things. Like she made a, a, a purse out of like denim pants. Um, like she does a lot of things like that. Yet another um, creator of his own company, which is uh, great to have like so many folks that have started their own companies at such a young age. Um, Tyron Walker, CEO and designer mm-hmm. of Roto Forever brand clothing company. Um, he's featuring a limited edition of of uh, fashion at this fashion show on Saturday. Can you talk a little bit about this limited edition? What's it all about? Well, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, okay. but <laughs> <laughs> he's also young too. I, I believe yeah. he's um, like 25 or lower, maybe 24. Um, definitely in his early 20s. But he's um, a lot of streetwear as well. Um, you know, hoodies, sweatpants, t-shirts, um, things of that nature. Um, yeah, yeah, people will just have to show up and, and see what the limited edition work is all about. Yeah. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking to Douglas Schindler, one of the co-founders of the Black Library. They have a fashion show this Saturday at six at the Black Library in Monticello. One other, uh, one other designer I just wanted to mention, which is also on your Instagram, uh, the Black Library NY, uh, is, um, 
uh, Samantha Monroy, you mentioned her, um, but I, I wanted to mention because she's also a fiber artist. It's great to see young folks involved with, with fiber and, and crochet and stuff that might seem as a lost art. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. And it, it's, it's kind of crazy to me that there's two artists, two designers in the show that both do crochet work yeah. um, with Darius and Samantha. Samantha, um, she does a lot of crochet work, uh, crocheted pants, crocheted tops, um, but she also makes jewelry. So um, she does like beaded earrings. She does, um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like that, that clear coating that you put on something, um, resin. Like mm-hmm. she'll take like fruit slices or like insects, uh, coat them in resin and make earrings and jewelry out of them, uh, beaded bracelets, beaded necklaces, um, a bunch of stuff like that. Um, and she also does a lot of tie dye work. So she'll, she'll, um, similar to Dara, find stuff in thrift stores and, and, uh, older clothing that she might have or other people might have. And then she'll, uh, upcycle it and, and turn it, make it into something new. And you're also not only focusing on local designers, but local models. Uh, did you find a good a selection of models in the area as well? Yeah, we got a, a pretty decent amount of, of models. Um, uh, I can't put an exact number on it, but every every time we have our, our practice, I'm like surprised that we had uh, had gotten so many models. Um, yeah, and they're they're all all from Sullivan County, with the exception of a couple people from Middletown, I believe. So just all all local models. Um, yeah, it's been it's been pretty great how how this has been turning out. Yeah. You know, looking back over this last year, um, since you guys were established in your new space, can you share some of the highlights of the Black Library's programming or some of the events or initiatives that's that stood out to you over the last year? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so definitely the Agriculture Weekend, um, you know, teaching people about gardening, um, teaching people about the different foods that, that can be grown up here, how to grow them, um, having them walk away with their own plants. Uh, to put in the ground their own seeds to put in the ground. Um, that was a, a really amazing experience. I learned a lot as well. Um, <laughs> so it was a, a really good, really, really, really great workshop. Um, definitely the um, our our first group show with the with resident artists uh, turned out incredible. I mean, there were so many people showed up to support that uh, that exhibit, and I, I mean, like we couldn't have asked for anything more when it came to, to that, uh, that exhibit. Um, I mean, there had to be at least like 150 to 200 people total who just showed up throughout the night. Um, probably like 70 people or so in there, uh, consistently. Um, our open mics are always great. Um, most of the time we get at least 60 people in attendance and, and get a lot of people performing at the open mic as well. So those, those generally turn out really well. Um, kind of like always proud of how our open mics go. Um, and then definitely all of the, uh, the financial workshops we're doing, um, we're, we're gearing up to do a couple financial literacy workshops in March. Um, and then we're working on, uh, solidifying our next live music performance in March as well. And that'll be our third live music show. Um, and our first two live music performances both went really well. Also, our first one was with uh, Nyjah Chanel, who's a, a local um, R&B singer. And then our second live show was actually a group of kids that um, I went to school with at, at SUNY Purchase, um, and that show went excellently as well. So, can't wait for this third show. Um, the the artist. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say the, the artist residency program. Um, the impact yeah. that it's had on local artists. Can you talk a little bit about that and some of the feedback you've heard? Yeah, I mean, all the, um, so we had four artists for our first group. Uh, three of them were from Monticello. One of them was from Beacon. Um, and I mean, the feedback from them was like really incredible. Um, because it's, it's really difficult, especially as like a, a, an emerging artist to find space or have the money to, to buy a studio space or rent a studio space. Um, a lot of people don't really have room in their house to paint, or maybe somebody works with oil paint and, and uh, ventilation is a problem in their house. Um, so just, you know, just them having a, a space where they can come and create every day 
um, was super important to them. And it was super important to, to Michael and I uh, to have that be a core function of the Black Library, giving people a space that they can uh, create in. Um, I used to live in Evergreen in Monticello, and I'm an oil painter, so there was like no way for me to really paint because um, there's just no space in Evergreen. And I know that a lot of the other artists also have that issue where they just don't have space to paint and can't really afford a space to work out of. Um, but just alongside giving them a space, we did a lot of programming that was uh, specifically geared toward them, just professional development, how to find uh, residencies, how to figure out ways to show in galleries, uh, create those relationships with galleries, the different places to look for grants, residencies, and, and showcases. Um, we did like a grant writing workshop, or not grant writing, um, kind of like a resume artist statement, um, artist bio workshop with them, um, like an application to NIFA workshop with them. Um, and we brought in other artists that are like currently in like the city and, and working uh, professionally as artists, we brought them in to, to talk with our artists and answer any questions that our artists had. Um, so yeah, we just, we try and do as much as possible with the artists and really develop them to try and help them succeed as artists, um, you know, have a, have a successful art career. And uh, another way of expressing that art is through fashion. The fashion show uh, is happening on Saturday. Um, it's a ticketed event, so folks can get ticket information at uh, theblacklibraryny.com uh, or also on your Facebook page, or sorry, Instagram at the Black Library NY. There's a link um, to get more information. And then those uh, those uh, ticket sales benefit the Black Library. Um, again, uh, Douglas Schindler from the Black Library, thank you so much for coming on. The fashion show again is Saturday at 6 in Monticello. We appreciate uh, you taking the time and appreciate what you're doing for the community. Thanks so much. Appreciate you for having me. All right, we'll take a break. And when we come back, uh, another way for artists to get involved on a really big canvas. It's the Great Wall of Honesdale. We'll learn about their uh, submissions uh, for 2024 right after a break. This is Radio Chatskill. Radio Catskill supporters include SUNY Sullivan, a community college in the Sullivan Catskills focused on preparing students for the future. More information at sunysullivan.edu. Livingston Manor. Dining, shopping, and the arts at the Gateway to the Catskill Park. LivingstonManorNY.com. And listeners like you who donate at WJFFRadio.org. Akuza Grace, KG, doing African American history during the month of February. Black History Month was originally created to fight ignorance and to prevent the continuation of misconception about black people and their history. So I'll be doing presentations on black history from then until now. So please check me out Tuesday on the Music Emporium. This is Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. The Wayne County Arts Alliance and curators Maggie Fuller, Phyllis Shikanian, and David Janik are seeking submissions for the 2024 Great Wall of Honesdale. Culture reporter Valerie Manzi spoke to Maggie Fuller about the public art installation located at the intersection of Main and 4th Streets in Honesdale, which started in 2016. Good morning, Maggie. I'm happy to be talking to you about the Great Wall of Honesdale. You're making a call for submissions. So this is a public exhibit, and it's sponsored by the Wayne County Arts Alliance, based in Honesdale. And the physical location is, it's in Honesdale. Um, it's the corner of the intersection, I should say, of 4th Street and Main Street, um, and the best way to access it is going to CVS and then walking over from there. And it's kind of a beloved local project because everybody sees the physical panels are 11 foot by 17 feet large. And the artwork is printed on those panels and we choose 12 artists. And it's a juried exhibition. Okay, and you're one of the uh, curators, correct? Correct, yes. I'm one of three curators, and 
I'm also a board member, so I've been um, volunteering to be part of the Arts Alliance for a couple years now. And this is my third year involved with the Great Wall of Honesdale. Um, and it's the ninth year, actually, that it's been around. Yes. I remember when it started, actually. Oh, and, great. Uh, yeah, I do. And I <laughs> know have a number of artist friends that... Uh, participated and had their artwork yeah. on the wall. Um, can you tell us about a little about what your requirements are and your deadline for submission? Sure. So there are years that it has not had a theme, um, but the past couple years we have had a theme. This year's theme is journey, and we encourage artists to interpret that as they like, what does journey suggest to you? Uh, you could use it thinking of it as a noun, traveling, um, a verb to go on a journey, or, you know, something a little more abstract, such as just a departure, an arrival, um, obstacles that you've encountered and worked through, um, something more intellectual or spiritual. So that's the theme, journey. And... We are using a website this year called CAFE, and it stands for Call for Entries. Um, and you do have to register. It's free, and you can find all of the information through CAFE. Um, we also have that on the Great Wall of Homesdale's website, which is underneath the Wayne County Arts Alliance website. Um, all the information is there. And you can submit up to three entries. But also new this year is that artists do not have to pay anything if they are chosen. So in the past, we have charged a fee to the chosen artists. And this year, we, we wanted to make it more accessible for everybody. We also do encourage students to enter. We try. We have always had one student and would definitely consider having more students, you know, based on the work. Um, and the deadline is midnight mountain time because of using this cafe website on Sunday, March 24th. And then entrance will all be notified by Monday, April 22nd. Okay. And can you give us those websites again? Uh yes. To be a little more specific about it, cafe is callforentry.org. And you will register on that. And then to find our call for art, if you just go to that cafe callforentry.org website and search, um, if you search under their find calls for Great Wall of Honesdale, Journey, Honesdale, anything like that, it will come up and you'll see all of the details there. And then... The Wayne County Arts Alliance website is waynecountyartsalliance.org and it is backslash the-great-wall-of-honesdale. Okay. Yeah. So We've got to get those, those dashes in there. Okay. Yeah. And when do you plan it's not exactly an opening but a celebration of the wall being finished yeah exactly we, we call it a celebration or a reception you know a revealing um because yes you're right people will see the work before the official uh kind of opening but it it's mid-june this year is when the work will be put up and that's always kind of weather dependent mm -hmm. um so sometimes we have a backup date. There's a whole crew and big lifts involved. Um, so that takes a whole day. And the unveiling is on June 22nd at 2 p.m. with a rain date of June 23rd, the next day. Well, <laughs> something to look forward to as we yeah. um First, have to get through the snowstorm, but June will be here, and so will the Great Wall. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this information. Of course. Thank you so much. You're we look welcome. forward to, to getting all these entries. 
Culture reporter Valerie Manzi speaking to Maggie Fuller about the public art installation in Honesdale, the Great Wall of Honesdale. And we'll take a quick break. When we come back, a preview of a new show here on Radio Catskill called Ambient Barn. It debuts this weekend. We'll learn more from its producer-creator, Mark Partridge, right after this. This is Radio Chatsko. Greetings, I'm Matt Hurtado. Join me on a journey where pixels meet melodies and controllers become conductors. This is Virtual Soundscapes, a show that transports you to the sonic realms of video game magic. In this journey, we'll uncover the hidden treasures of video game soundtracks from the classics to modern day and speak with industry veterans. Join me for the debut of Virtual Soundscapes on February 15th at 10 p.m. Only on Radio Catskill. Listen local. Welcome back to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. Yeah, we've got a couple of new shows debuting this week. Uh, Virtual Soundscapes with Matt Hurtado tomorrow. And then on Sunday, it's Ambient Barn. Mark Partridge is a composer, filmmaker, and multimedia artist living in the Catskills with his wife, daughter, and, as he says, an ever-growing menagerie of animals. His creative career runs the gamut from pop songwriting to punk bands to film directors and experimental sound designers. He's played guitar for most of his life, and these days he loves making music with machines. He's bringing that music to Radio Catskill. The new show is Ambient Barn, debuting Sunday night at 11. Let's take a listen. As a lifelong music fan, I've always been drawn to the sounds and the textures of electronic music. The warmth of analog synthesis the punch of an 808, the icy perfection of a sine wave. And as an artist, the magic is in the ability to slice and dice, to morph, to chop, to screw that sound and that audio, to break it down and rearrange it and to produce something entirely new. Every single person with a laptop is capable of making a sound that no one has ever heard before. And I think that's pretty cool. So on this show, I want to share my passion for music with you. And hopefully you'll come along for the ride. I know it's late and it's Sunday, but you know, all the best stuff happens late at night. Certainly does, and the best stuff is going to start happening late at night. Uh, this Sunday, joining us now to break it all down is Mark Partridge, the creator and producer of Ambient Barn. Mark, good morning. Hey, Tim. How's it going? Thanks uh, for having me. Good. Thanks for being here. Thanks for bringing your locally produced show here to Radio Catskill. Um, you know, you, you, you kind of explained it there in the intro uh, about bending music and the sound and and you know what is it about doing that that uh, really kind of gets you going and and you know putting it into the show well i think i mean there's a lot to that a lot to unpack there but i think for me the top line of it is basically i you know i grew up playing guitar and i grew up playing music uh, in sort of like traditional bands with instruments which don't get me wrong i love and i still do um but there's something about you know, being able to sort of mold sound um, that's, you know, it's like almost sculptural, you know, it's like sculptural, um, architectural, like you're kind of building something um, by layering and shading. And, um, you know, it's just a different way of sort of making music. So I think what what I do on my show is that I bring that perspective to the table and, um, you know, talk a lot about, you know, sort of the types of music. And, and you know, we, we deep dive into different genres every week. And, you know, maybe one week we'll, we'll focus on like a particular synthesizer. And, you know, the idea is to kind of build shows around these ideas um, and to curate, um, you know, uh, playlists that really kind of reflect the expansive nature of electronic music, because there really is like a lot out there. Yeah, and the the, the title "ambient barn." Uh, you don't want folks to be misled by the term "ambient," as some folks may know it these days, as like some kind of music to put you to sleep. This is more about expand expanding the sound and exploring all the expansive sound. That's right. Um, I think yeah, I, that's that's a that's a really good point. Actually, I make that point um, in in one of these shows. Um, but yeah, I mean, ambient is more. Um, you know, the idea of, of music just kind of being everywhere, right? And and there is um, this, um, you know, I have a love of ambient music for sure, and we will be featuring uh, plenty of it on the show, but... Um, but it's more of a jumping off point, you know, I think, I think we're not, we're not such genre purists, you know, I think there's a lot of, um, interconnection, a lot of, you know, genre mashing up that happens these days. So, 
Um, yeah, it's it's definitely not only ambient music. I mean, it's you know we're, we do everything. We're gonna do uh, an episode on industrial music, um, synth punk, um, movie soundtracks. You name it, we're 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 taking a look at it all. And you mentioned this a little bit in the introduction on that clip that we played too. Some of the the gear are you kind of a, a gearhead, and so when it comes to this, and we'll be bringing some of that <laughs> out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm I plan on it for sure. Um, and yeah, I'm a little bit of a gearhead. I'm I'm not. I'm not as bad as I could be, for sure. <laughs> I mean, some people are, are pretty, pretty, pretty deep into that world. I definitely have gear. I have my toys, and I really enjoy using them. Um, and we will definitely be hearing some of that stuff on uh, on the show. And I just want to talk a little bit about your career. You, you We mentioned a little bit you've, you've done a lot. Um, can you talk about some of the highlights along the way and how it led to the Ambient Barn? Sure. I mean, um, you know, I kind of came up as a guitar player and a songwriter and a remixer producer, like in the, you know, early, early aughts in New York City, kind of the, what they're calling the indie sleaze era now, which is like, <laughs> you know, the Strokes LCD sound system and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, that, that's sort of where like my, my musical heart is. Um, and, um, you know, as an, as an artist, I've, I've not only you know, been involved in music, but I've, my my career has also expanded. As a, as I took a many years and, and spent a lot of time making films. I've made uh, documentary films, um, you know, narrative shorts. Um, I made a web series. I made a documentary about the aftermath of Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. So, you know, my my creative energy is is pretty vast. So, um, you know, I'm and and then coming up here, um, you know, we moved from the city during during the pandemic, and um, just being getting involved in the in the community up here has been amazing. Like I, I'm a teaching artist over at Bethel Woods, um, and um, just really getting to know the folks around here has been amazing. And I'm just hoping that this show will bring kind of some more creative weirdos out of the out of the shadows because um, you know there's there's a lot of cool stuff going on around here. Well, there are a lot of creative weirdos around too. So, um, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know, just proud like you, creative, proud weirdos. exactly. You know, I well, I want to ask you about the uh, the uh, Bliss Waves synthesizer sound bath at Bethel Woods. Oh yeah, in a minute. But I just I wanted to mention just this part about you being up here and just the creative creativity of the spark that it gives you. I'm just looking at your social media. Uh, Mark Partridge films and in, in each of these clips that you post, there's this sense of joy. Are, are you are you enthused and, <laughs> and 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 you know invigorated by the environment that you're in now, even more so? Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, we you know it's it's not an uncommon story up here. I mean, we we lived in the city for a long time and we barely had a house plant, you know. And then we we come up here and we have all this land and we have chickens now and these gardens and. You know, it's just being close to nature is uh, is just spiritual, um, and I feel like you know, for me and my family, it's you know, living in the country has been um, like a gift, just an amazing, amazing gift, and you know, just trying to harness all of that creativity as best I can, um, and uh, and and to share it with the folks in the community. And speaking of spiritual, the Bliss Waves sound bath is uh, at Bethel Woods. Uh, it's an evening of um, meditation. Talk a little bit about what that is and when it's happening and, and kind of how it came about. Yeah, sure. Um, so um, as as you know, uh, I'm a composer um, and part of my musical practice, you know, I try to make music every single day. Um, and part of that practice has been for years, um, creating sort of generative ambient music in my own space as a form of meditation. And um, I've always wanted to kind of take it out and share it with people. Um, and uh, the folks at Bethel Woods have been amazing enough to offer me that opportunity. So, um, yeah, it's Wednesday, March 13th, um, 6 p.m. It's part of their wellness series. Um, it's at the conservatory. Um, and it's, you know, it's just going to be kind of a blissed out, um, sound bath, but instead of kind of, you know, um, there will be some hand, hand percussion and stuff like that, but it'll be mostly electronics and synthesis. Um, so kind of hoping to bring like a little twist to that. Um, and if it's successful, we hope to do a lot more of them. Um, so definitely check that out um, coming up. And there's more information about that at BethelwoodCenter.org. You mentioned your music. You've got some music uh, dropping Friday. Is that right? And are you performing live soon? Yeah, so um, I, I have a, a new EP coming out on Friday. It's called Visor. It'll be available only on Bandcamp. 
Um, and um, you can check it out um, at Ambient Barn um, on Instagram or on TikTok or on YouTube. Um, and, yeah, I'm playing a show um, a week from Friday. It's the 23rd. It's at Cabernet Franks, which everybody knows is the best venue in the area for live music. Um, and uh, it's a show put on by Peter from Gorilla Toss, and it's got Frank Hurricane, um, Glockabelle, um, and a band called CRISPR. Um, and uh, it's just going to be awesome. It's like an awesome, eclectic night of music. So if you are all around, please come check us out. Um, it's going to be fun. And, uh, you know, before we go, uh, just want to talk about again, you know, your embrace of spontaneity, imperfection, <laughs> creating uh, art uh, in your music and, and the uh, importance of play, as you mentioned on your Instagram. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think especially when you get into the realm of ambient, or not, I'm sorry, of electronic music, um, you know, there's a lot of it out there and a lot of it is made on laptops and a lot of it is highly quantized. You know, it's there's a lot, not all of it, but a lot of it. So all I'm saying is that it's with that, it's very important to sort of remember the humanity that goes into making music, even, even if you're making music sort of with machines and with computers, there's, there's, there's a, a beauty to the happy accident. There's a beauty to the imperfection there. And as part of sort of my, my you know, creative mantra, I try to follow that um, on a daily basis. All right. It's Ambient Barn from Mark Parker, debuting this Sunday night at 11 uh, on Radio Catskill. And you can also stream it live at WJFFradio.org. Um, Mark, let's remind folks where they can find you on social media and on the interwebs. Yeah, for sure. Um, you can find me. I'm, I am at Ambient Barn um, on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube um, and also on Threads, I think. Um, and you can also, you mentioned earlier, Mark Partridge Films, which is also um, one of my handles on Instagram. You can also find me there. He's everywhere. Uh, you're, we're going to go out with one of, a clip from one of your shows. Um, what, what, is, what is this we're listening to? This is Tour de France by Kraftwerk. Um, Kraftwerk is um, just one of the all-time pioneers of electronic music um, and just one of my favorites. So um, we're going to be hearing a lot, a lot of Kraftwerk on the Ambient Barn. So if you like Kraftwerk and music like that, see us on Sundays at 11. <laughs> Sundays at 11, Ambient Barn on Radio Catskill. Mark Partridge, thanks so much. Thank you, Tim. Have a wonderful day. Appreciate it. You too. That's all for this edition of Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. Thanks for listening. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Narrowsburg Union and Catskills Curated, presenting products of regional artists, artisans, makers, and craftsmen. Gift wrapping and shipping available on site. NarrowsburgUnion.com The Cooperage Project in Honesdale, dedicated to building community through performance, learning, markets, and good times. TheCooperageProject.org And from listeners like you, who donate at WJFFRadio.org on the next Radio Lab. All right, let's do it. Two stories. <laughs> One centimeter long. Of little guys. So like your pinky finger. Half of the pinky finger. Doing big. This is something very, very unusual. Big. We could do this. Things. Or. Vichy takes it to the face. Trying to anyway. Breaks his nose. Probably has a concussion. That's on the next Radio Lab. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> this afternoon at one on Radio Catskill. On Point is next, and Democracy Now! at noon. The forecast for the listening area, partly cloudy skies, uh, much cooler than yesterday. High of only 27. Might see a few flurries or snow showers. Clear tonight, low 17. And then tomorrow, a 70% chance of some snow later in the day. Cloudy in the morning, high 35. Listen to Farm and Country Saturday morning at 10. The best of rural life and agriculture for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. That's Farm and Country Saturday morning at 10. Only on Radio Catskill.
WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Radio Catskill. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania.